Have a seat. Man, good to see you guys. Wow, this is a, a good-looking church right here. I mean, I've seen a lot of churches, but you're the best-looking church I've seen today. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> Other than first service, they were, maybe had you beat just a bit. No, I'm just kidding. No, you guys are better-looking for sure. Man, I'm so grateful. Carl, I could even tell you took a shower sometime in the last month. That's two. That's awesome. We, uh, we just got back from youth camp, and our teens uh, are still up at camp. We've just made a decision to go ahead and leave them up there. Um, just, you know, sow them into the Turner. Let them, let them uh, inc- you know, encounter the wilderness and all that. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, I want to just bring a, a good report. Uh, we were up there with uh, our group from Joy Eugene, also from Joy Medford, Joy Greens Pass, plus Life Bible and from Harrisburg, uh, Rock Point from, from Newburgh, um, uh, Gateway Church from Shelton, Washington, and, and a church from Tillamook, kind of all over. But at camp, there were over 300 uh, junior high, middle schoolers and, and high schoolers just worshiping, uh, loving Jesus, like really encountering the presence of God. We, we talked about apologetics, the, the calling of God. It's really powerful. And I don't know if you ever feel kind of a little bit hopeless or a little bit discouraged about the next generation, but I'm just here to tell you, uh, man, the next generation is going to surpass what we have done for the kingdom of God. That's what we believe. And uh, Joy Church, we're, we're, we are invested in young people. You know, a lot of churches are shutting down youth groups, getting rid of stuff. They kind of turn kids' ministry into babysitting, and we don't believe that at all. Um, I once heard a, a, a quote by Dwight uh, L. Moody, D.L. Moody. He said, uh, I did a service, and we had two and a half salvations. And someone said to him, oh, two adults and one, one child. And he said, no, two children and one adult. Because the kids have their entire life to serve God and, and fulfill his purposes. And that's how we feel here, okay? So here's my challenge to you guys, as a, a, all of us here uh, with the teens up at, up at camp, is we can't let them outdo us. So we need to be serious about the Word of God and worship and press into the presence of God and press into uh, today and, and leave here more passionate and excited about the call of God in our life. Amen? Yeah. Yes, because we don't want those teens to come back too fired up, you know, and leave us in the dust, right? We got we to gotta amp it up a little bit. And we have teens here today. So yeah, you guys are, yeah, it's good. You're good. I'm glad you're here. All right. Next year, you got to go to camp, though, okay? So, all right. Uh, I'm glad you're here. Awesome. Well, guys, we're in a series uh, called I Love My Church, I Love My City. And we're talking about our place in the church, in the family of God, in the house, and specifically our local church, Joy Eugene. Woo, woo. Yeah. And I, I heard a rumor that may or may not be true that we're getting new T-shirts here, maybe coming up. Okay, okay, okay. Pretty exciting. So I saw some I Love My Church shirts from like a year or two ago getting a refresh, guys. Brand new. We skipped it in 2020, but we're bringing it back. I was thinking, I don't know, I got to talk to Kyle about this, but we could do like a retro skate world, maybe kind of cool. Who'd be into that? Who'd be into that? Okay. Yeah, that'd be kind of cool. Kind of a vintage t-shirt. Some of you would be like, I got one of those in my closet, you know. (laughs) You can take it to the Goodwill and get a new t-shirt on on Sunday. Not this next Sunday, but we'll, we'll let you guys know. So we're in this series about I love my church, I love my city, talking about being part of the family, being part of the church, but also the fact that we're not just called to come into the church and be part of the family of God, but God has placed us in the city. And I'm I'm speaking specifically about our city, Eugene and Springfield in this area, but also the city representing the culture around us, the world around us. It's important that we have these two uh, pulls right in our thinking and in our theology that we are called into the house of God, into the church, into the family of God, 
in, in Scripture, in the Greek language, it's the word ekklesia. It means called out. You're called out of the world to gather in the family of God. But that's not where it stops because you're called out of the city into the church, but you're called out of the church into the city to bring the gospel and to expand the kingdom and to make disciples, right? So we want to see our place inside the church and who we are and what we're to be, but also see our, our, our mission into the city. And I'm so excited about that. And how many of you believe that our city, the world around us, absolutely needs what God is doing inside the church to expand? Because when I look at this church, what I see is a place that is not divided, but united. We're not divided on race. We're united as brothers and sisters. I don't care what the color of your skin is. The blood that flows through our veins is the blood of Jesus washed and redeemed at the foot of the cross. Come on. That when I look at this church and when I see the church of Jesus, I don't see a place that's divided on gender, men or women. I see men and women flowing together in their gifts, preaching, prophesying, and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus around the globe. Come on, somebody. I don't see a church that's divided along socioeconomic lines. We have rich and poor coming together, sitting together, serving together, giving together, investing together in God's purposes. I don't see a church divided on politics. I don't care who you voted for. Vote for Jesus and put your politics to the side. Come on, somebody. I see a church that's not divided about masks or not masks. I see a church, uh-oh, it just got real in here, didn't it? I see a church that's not divided upon if you're vaccinated or not vaccinated. Let me just tell you right now, I don't care. I love you and you love me and I need you and you need me and we need to come together. Come on. And be the church because the church is a reflection of heaven. When we go through the pearly gates, come on, who wants a ticket to that party, right? When we go through the pearly gates, you're not going to see a mono-ethnic place. You're not gonna, it's not going to all be one type of food and one type of music and everybody one, one look. It's going to be this beautiful tapestry of all God's children together. And you're going to have Democrats in heaven. Come on. Some of you are like, I don't believe that. No, you will. You're going to have Republicans in heaven. I don't believe that. You will. You're going to have people from every walk of life that have put their allegiance into Christ. Come on, somebody. And, and there's unity in the house of God. And so the church is a picture of heaven, and we represent God's kingdom in this place. And we're called as the church to the city. And so last week I talked about encountering God and how an encounter with God, a, re a real legitimate encounter with God, is the foundation of our mission and the foundation of our calling. And so today we're going to talk about the call. Somebody say the call. The call. And answering the call of God. Now, how many of you ever get calls that you don't want? You know, telemarketers, spammers, right? Now our phones tell us, hey, it's a, it's a telemarketer, and you're like, you know, decline, right, decline. Uh, but when I was growing up, we didn't have caller ID. Like, I remember when caller ID became a thing on, like, your home phone. We're trying to explain to our kids, like, yeah, phones used to have a cord, yeah. right? And you had to, like, you were stuck to that cord. And then if you were really cool, like, you, you know, I remember going to a friend's house, their mom would be like talking on the phone in the other room because they had the really long cord, you know what I mean? It was like pre-cell phones, you know? And uh, when caller ID came along, it really ended my career as a prank caller, which was sad, but it's just things this generation will never get to experience, you know, like actually being able to be anonymous in prank call places, you know? Hi, is your refrigerator running? <laughs> you should probably go get it. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, okay. Actually, I, had, I did better than that. But uh, we get calls we don't want. So obviously getting like robocalled and spam called and telemarketers is not our favorite thing. And so somebody decided to do something about it. There's this, uh, we don't know his name, he's anonymous, but an anonymous uh, uh, IT uh, guy, some software engineer, developed this chatbot named Lenny. Has anybody ever heard of Lenny? 
Okay, anybody heard of Lenny? You need to Google this because it will bless your day after church today, okay? Lenny is this voice recording of an elderly Australian gentleman who basically rambles on and on and on, and, it, and he responds in real time to the telemarketer. And so it's a server, and it's free. You can actually route your calls to this server named Lenny. And so if you get a telemarketer, you can route it, and Lenny answers, uh, Hello? Yeah, yeah, uh, oh, 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 who, 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 who is this? And then they'll say who it is, and he'll go, I'm, I'm sorry, I, didn't, I didn't quite catch that. He, he speaks excruciatingly slow. And, and he will, he'll, he'll start answering questions to what they say, but it's a computer and it's smart, right? It's AI. And so it'll start answering and it'll go on these 10-minute stories. And so there's recordings online of Lenny having 10, 15, 20-minute conversations with real telemarketers leading him along this whole rabbit trail. How many of you think that is anointed right there? Uh, and so Lenny... Uh, handles the, the call. But I want to share some other ways people handle calls they don't want, spam calls. There's this, this person uh, gives this strategy, which I think is brilliant. So this lady said, this is how I do it. Uh, so here's the, I'll act it out for you. So she answers the phone. Hello? Scammer. Hi, I'm calling about your car's extended warranty that is about to expire. And this is her reply. I'm sorry, I don't have a car because I don't have any legs. Scammer, long pause. Oh, I'm terribly sorry. Click. <laughs> so just telling people you don't have legs is a get-out-of-jail-free card for spam calls. How many of you feel like you got something out of church today? Even if the message isn't any good, you learned something. Okay, one more. This is Luis from Twitter. This is what she does. I always ask them if they are a real voice, adding that my doctor told me not to listen to the other voices as they tell me to do bad things. <laughs> Tends to just... It's over. The conversation ends at that point. I asked Bethany, I'm like, would you tell this story in church? She's like, go for it. I said, okay, babe. So this had, I had Bethany's permission to say that one. Pretty good, uh, pretty good strategies. Uh, but what about when God calls you? What about when God reaches out and has an assignment for you, when he calls you? I mean, it sounds cool. It sounds spiritual, right? Like, I hear the call of God. The problem is the call of God is going to challenge you to the core. The call of God is going to take you away from comfort. The call of God is going to convict you. It's going to cost you something. The call of God is going to move you from the comfort zone into the, the, the discomfort zone. And he's going to send you from the fields of leisure to the fields of mission. Come on, he's going to take you from peacetime to war. He's going to take you as the army of the Lord into the place where the battle rages hottest. The call of God sometimes is something that, though it sounds cool and sounds spiritual and sounds really exciting, oftentimes is not that exciting. It's God taking you from where you are and sending you into the mission field and into his purposes. The word calling or a call, just the definition is a shout or a summons, or it could represent a strong urge to a particular way of life. Somebody says, I have a calling to you know, go vegan or have a calling to live in a particular way. I want to I wanna move to Switzerland and farm in the Alps. I don't, I don't know, but it's a, an urge to a particular way of life. Or a calling could be an occupation or vocation. Uh, for our purposes today, I want to use this definition of calling in a spiritual sense. It re a calling is a divine assignment. We'll put it up on the screen for you. A divine assignment of kingdom importance connected to your God-given identity. In other words, God created you and formed and fashioned you with particular gifts and talents and abilities, and even your personality. Maybe you don't like your personality, but God gave it to you. Why? Because you, are, you have a particular calling. He's made you a certain way to fulfill a certain purpose. You are a key that fits a particular lock. 
And so don't ever say, oh, I don't like who I am, or I don't like, you know, what God's made me to be. Embrace it and lean into it because you are created, as we say, on purpose and for purpose. But a calling is a divine assignment of kingdom importance. God wants you in your lifetime and in your generation to make a difference in the world around you for his kingdom. And he's given you your identity and, and he's connected your calling to that. Your assignment is going to match and fit who you are. And this is why we really encourage people to go through next track. And in week two, we actually do a spiritual gifts and personality assessment because we want to know how has God fashioned you? How has he wired you? Because that helps us to understand and helps you to understand what kind of a divine assignment he might give to you. So we're talking about calling today, this divine assignment of kingdom importance connected to your God-given identity. I want to tell you a story. We're going to jump into the Word today, jump into the Bible, and look at a man named Jonah. Now Jonah, you might know, is the, the guy that was swallowed by a, a fish, right? And, and I used to hear that story growing up, and I had no problem with it. It was kind of like, you know, yeah, I guess, I don't know, that could happen. I mean, I believe in a supernatural God, so I can believe somebody could get swallowed by a great fish or a whale or whatever. And then as I got older, I started to kind of like, well, maybe, I don't know, is that real or whatever? And then a couple weeks ago, I don't know if you saw this in the news, but a guy was scuba diving or swimming or something, and he got swallowed by a whale. Yeah. And then a couple minutes later, the whale spit him up, and he lived. And I was like, okay. <laughs> All right. Pretty cool. So Jonah was a prophet. We know Jonah as this guy who goes, you know, gets swallowed by a fish, but he was actually a prophet. He's mentioned in another place in Scripture. He was established in his ministry. I feel bad because Jonah has actually one of the worst attitudes of anybody in the Bible, and he really doesn't look very good. And the story I'm going to tell you, he looks kind of like a jerk, to be honest. But Jonah was probably a pretty good guy. He was a prophet in Israel. Obviously, God had called him and given him this ability to be a prophet, and uh, he's established in his ministry, and he's going about his business, doing his thing as a prophet in Israel, when all of a sudden, ring, 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 he gets a call from God that he does not want. And this is where we pick up the story. In Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, we're going to put it on the screen. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. And so what we see here is Jonah is in, figuratively, the church. He's in the house. He's in his calling. He's in his mission. He's in his place with his people. But God says, Go to the city. All of us that are in the church, the call for us is go to the city. And he says, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. And God gives them an uncomfortable command. You've got to go and ask, tell these people to repent. You've got to go to these people and preach against it. Preach against what's going on in the city because its wickedness has come up before me. Jonah, it says in uh, 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 verse 3, but Jonah ran away from the Lord. How many of you know? It never works, but we all do it. Right? kind of like why people eat nachos after 10 p.m. You know it doesn't work, but we all do it, you know? This isn't going to be good. It's going to hurt me. I'm going to wake up in the night and have Montezuma's revenge, whatever happens, but, you know, we'll edit that out off the uh, live stream there, but uh, we do it anyways. Jonah runs away from the Lord. He doesn't want to give this message. He doesn't want to hear this call, and he goes to Tarshish, or he's headed for Tarshish, which scholars believe was actually in Spain, and so uh, he's in Israel. Assyria is to the east, Nineveh's in the desert. Jonah should have been hopping on a camel, but instead he hops on a ship and he tries to escape, goes the opposite direction. He found, goes to Joppa, finds a ship bound for that port. After paying the, the fare, he goes and sails to Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, why was Jonah fleeing from the Lord? Because 
a lot of times we see biblical characters and they're sort of two-dimensional, but let's understand the context of why Jonah would flee. The reason why is because Assyria was the world's great empire at the time. They were very powerful. They were bloodthirsty. They were idolatrous. They really weren't nice people. They were conquering the world. They were the arch enemies of Israel. And so they lived in fear of this great empire that were totally wicked and did everything absolutely opposite of what the people of God were taught to do and how they were to live. And so Assyria represents the big bad boogeyman of the world. Okay? Assyria, and Nineveh specifically as its capital, is the place that represents the power of this planet, the power of this world. It's this empire. You know, they're evil. They're bad. They're, ooh, they're scary. It's like Emperor Palpatine's there. You know, everything's bad there. And so Jonah's like, heck no, I don't want to go. Heck no, I don't want to go to Nineveh. Not only do I not want to go and tell them to repent, because that's scary, but I also don't even want them to repent. I don't want God to do anything good. We're going to find out. Jonah actually tells us why he doesn't want to go. So he flees and goes the opposite direction. And while he goes on this ship, we find the part of the story that we all are kind of familiar with. God sends this storm. It says the Lord provides a great storm. And they're all freaking out. And Jonah comes up from the bottom and he goes, you know what? It's actually because of me. So toss me overboard. So they toss him overboard. And all of a sudden the storm calms and Jonah gets swallowed by the fish. And we pick up his prayer because he has this come to God moment inside of the, the whale, which I think all of us would, right? It's like, man, I just get right with God when I'm in the middle of the fish, right? And in verse 7 of Jonah chapter 1, we catch his prayer. He says, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your, your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Even in the Old Testament, the message that God wanted to give to the city was that salvation comes from the Lord. Come on, somebody. Salvation comes from the Lord. The word that God wants to put in your spirit and have you carry into the city is that, look, you might be living it this way. You might be living in darkness. You might be going the opposite direction of God, but he wants to save you. He has great love for you. He sent Jesus. Come on, Jonah was called to carry this message and he begins to embrace this calling. He says, I will say salvation comes from the Lord and the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. How many of you would prefer to avoid the fish puke portion of the story in your own life? Come on. When you flee from the Lord, you get puked up by a fish, right? <laughs> so you want to just go the direction he's sending you. Uh, and then in, in chapter 3, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And he said, Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Let me tell you something about the call of God. God is more patient than even your entire lifetime. And he doesn't change his mind. If he calls you and he tells you to go, just because you decided to interrupt that calling and do something else for whatever period of time you decide to go that direction, God doesn't change his mind and go, okay, well, since you, you know, really weren't comfortable with this, then I'll go ahead and change your call. What happens is Jonah gets puked up by a fish, and while he's laying there on the beach, the word of the Lord comes a second time and says, hey, remember what I told you before? Go do it. And so Jonah has to respond. I heard a story one time about a missionary. He was a young man. He was 18 or 19 years old. He got saved at like a youth camp or a revival meeting. And the, a prophet came up to him right after he gave his life to Jesus. And he prophesied. He said, young man, you're called to go to the mission field. You're called to give your life in service of the gospel. And you'll be prepared and you'll be sent and you'll go, you know, to the mission field. And the young man didn't like that call. And he ended up leaving the church and leaving you know, the Lord and ended up living a good portion of his life, 10, 20, 30 years. I think he was in his 50s when he decided, I'm going to go back to the Lord. He comes back to the Lord, 
gives his life to Jesus again, rededicates himself in a church service. Right after he gives his life to the Lord, a prophet comes up to him and says, excuse me, sir, but I feel like the Lord wants me to tell you that you're called to the mission field. (laughs) God doesn't forget, and he doesn't change his call for your life. You could be 80 years old, and guess what? Maybe you feel like, I squandered my life. I haven't served Jesus. I'm just now coming back to the Lord. And whatever that call that he has on your life, it's still there. You don't retire in the kingdom of God. You, don't, you can't squander it. That call of God's going to be there on your life as long as you, until you go to be with Jesus in heaven, you are called to go to the city and say, salvation comes from the Lord. And it doesn't matter how young, how old, how bad, how good, whatever, you're still called. Come on, and God doesn't forget And so God says to Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. And it says in verse 3, Jonah Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. It's this massive place. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. This is not a fun thing to proclaim when you're walking a day into the city. Because you're a day away from safety, right? (laughs) That's like when I go camping, I want to be able to hear Interstate 5. <laughs> How close am I to safety? How close am I to internet? Come on. How close am I to a Starbucks or a Dutch Bros, right? I want to know. I'm not that far. But Jonah is into the city and he's proclaiming, 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. And something incredible happens. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed. And all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth, including the the king of Nineveh, the king of Assyria. Verse 10, I'm going to skip a few verses, but verse 10 says, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. What if we believed that if we heard the call of God and responded and we actually went to the city and we proclaimed the word of the Lord, Do you think that God could turn around what's happening in our nation, in our city, in the culture around us, and in the world? That if the gospel was preached and hearts were changed and the Holy Spirit moved on people and they responded to Christ, that perhaps some of the destruction and the brokenness and the damage and what looks hopeless and irredeemable and irreconcilable could be united? That maybe some Republicans and Democrats, people of different races, different genders, different classes could come together under the blood of Jesus and do something good with this planet that God put us in charge of? Do you think that if the word of the Lord was proclaimed and we were faithful, that maybe God could do something and the destruction that we see could be averted? Because I do. Come on. But it requires somebody to have the boldness and the courage and the faith and the obedience to actually go and proclaim the message. But then it goes in in chapter 4, verse 1, and this is interesting. And this is, I, I relate to Jonah so much because he has a bad attitude. And I think this is going to speak to some people today and maybe be convicting as it's convicting to me. Because oftentimes we want people that God intends to be our family, we want them to remain our enemies and to be judged by God rather than to be reconciled and turned to God. And it says in chapter 4, verse 1, But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? 
You see, oftentimes we care more about our agenda, our politics, our, our ideologies being correct or right. And this goes for any side of whatever political or any social issue that you want to put yourself on or find yourself on. This is, this is an equal opportunity offensive message. I hope you're not offended, but you can be. It's up to you. It's a free country. So we oftentimes care more about that being that I'm right, and that's proven that I was right. And see, I was right. And God judged the other side. And, and, and God proved that I was right, and my side was right, and I was with God, and they weren't. And that's not what God is about. You see, God's judgment comes upon unrighteousness. God's judgment comes upon sin. There is a time that is apportioned for each each generation, each nation, each empire. Uh, uh, there is a time and a season for the United States of America. And I believe we are seeing some of the judgment of God. And people go, you mean God is actively judging America? Did God create COVID? No, 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 no. I'm not saying that. What happens is when you live outside of the divine kingdom mandates of the authority of God and people reject God, then the natural consequences are the judgment. But oftentimes God also will use judgment to begin to get people to turn their hearts and minds to him. And see, what I see in our, in our time and, and era right now is that many people who otherwise wouldn't even listen are now listening. Because when our comfort and our earthly kingdoms are shaken, the only thing that remains is the kingdom of God that is unshakable. And so we can get upset and be like, well, see, uh, I really want bad things to happen and I want stuff to go wrong for the people that are doing all this nonsense and whatever. And God says, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? Hey, believer, is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you to want the people that, yeah, disagree with you and you don't think what they're doing is good and all this? Is it right for you to be upset and angry? Or isn't it good that I would actually want to save them and bring them into the family? You see, the reality is that, like I said before, in heaven, when we walk through the pearly gates, we're not going to be there based on how we voted and our ideology and all that kind of stuff. It's based on did we put our faith and trust in Jesus and allow him to transform us from the inside out and walk and live as kingdom citizens. Come on. And so Jonah is faced with this problem. He wants to die. He's angry. He doesn't like the fact that God's going to forgive Nineveh. He wants the judgment to fall. Then in verse 5, it says, Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. He's having an adult pouting session, temper tantrum. What do you know? What's the sign that you're going to have an adult temper tantrum? You separate yourself from your friends and your family and your body. I left church because they weren't vaccinated. I left because they didn't wear a mask. Or I left because they were vaccinated or they did wear masks. Do you know it's really wrong to leave a church because somebody has a vaccine or doesn't or wears a mask or doesn't? I don't care about that. I do. I love you. I love your family. Do you have all the answers? Do you perfectly understand it? Because I don't. What I do understand is that Jesus loves you and died for you, and he brought us together, and he put us together in a family. And so to go have a, a pouty session, to go sit on the hill and, be, and separate yourself from the family is immature. It's not mature. God called us to the church, and he called us to the city. And so Jonah goes out, and he pouts, and he sits down. I'm outside of the city. I don't like what's going on here. And he made himself a shelter, and he sat in its shade, and he waited to see what would happen to the city. And then the Lord God provided a leafy plant. God's so good to us. Even in our bad attitudes, he provides comfort. Like, he, he provides for us, and he provides Jonah this leafy plant, and he made it grow up over Jonah. Oh, give it shade. His little head was shaded, and he was not so hot. His, his comfort was eased, it says, and Jonah was very happy about the plant. It's like a millennial lady with a, with a succulent. You know what I mean? He was just loving that. 
my wife with a cactus. You know what I mean? She loved those plants. Just speaking to it, you know, just love it. And Jonah had his plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided something else, a worm. You know that God provides worms to eat the plant and get rid of the comfort because you're acting like a worm. And he wants to deliver you from your selfishness and your immaturity and your bad attitude. And I'm preaching to me. If this speaks to you, hey, that's great. But the Lord not only provided the plant that eased his discomfort, he also the next day provided the worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God, God's provision was also at work. It says, then God provided a scorching east wind. Thanks, Lord. Appreciate your blessing here. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Jonah was angry because he had to answer the call and carry the message of salvation to a city that he wanted to be judged. Now he was angry with God and wanted to die because his comfort was taken from him. It is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. Can you imagine having this conversation with God? We say no, but then actually think about how bad of an attitude you get from time to time. And I would tell you, I've absolutely had this conversation with God. And if you've ever had children, when they're in a tizzy, you know this is exactly how bad it gets, right? It's the burn it to the ground level of anger and bad attitude, right? It's just burn it to the ground. And Jonah says, I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, a.k.a. your comfort, the thing that, that was easing you, that was allowing you to stay comfortable, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. Many times we're so afraid of something being taken away from us that we didn't even work to give ourselves. It wasn't yours to begin with, and you're, you're angry and mad at God or mad at culture or mad at whatever because it's taken away. And should I not? This is what the heart of God is. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals? End scene. That's where the book of Jonah ends. We don't even get to see how Jonah responds. We don't see what happens. But this is a, an incredible insight into how we respond and how we deal with the, heart, the, the call of God and what the heart of God is. You see, my first thought about the call and answering the call is this, that God loves the city. God tells Jonah, Jonah, shouldn't I care more about 120,000 people who are so lost in spiritual darkness, who are so apart from me that they can't even tell their right hand from their left? Many times we as the church look out at an unbelieving world and we get angry because sinners do sinful, wicked, evil things. And the word of the Lord is this, no, duh. Because you can't tell your right hand from your left. And you, my friend, and I were just like that because when you're apart from Jesus, you have no light. So yes, of course you do evil, wicked, uh, unprofitable things. Of course you lead to destruction. You do selfish, self-serving things. And so the church oftentimes goes up on a hill and gets under a nice, comfortable, leafy plant and goes, I want to see what happens to the city when God's judgment falls on all those sinners. And the Lord says, well, I think we have a worm for that. <laughs> Did you know God has a beautiful worm ready to eat this building right off our heads if we ever lose sight of our mission? God has a beautiful little worm ready to eat your 401k. He has a worm ready to take down your health insurance. God has a worm to erode your political nice neighborhood that you live in where everybody agrees and is the same color and everybody votes the same way and all that. God has a worm ready for all of it. And that worm is there not to destroy you, but to deliver you from what will destroy you. 
and get you to go, you know what? Let me get my eyes on what God's eyes are upon because God loves the city. God loves the people that are in this city. And let's talk about our city, Eugene and Springfield. Man, there's a lot of stuff in our city right now that I do not like and in our state that I do not like. I was just telling Bethany the other day, I'm running for mayor. Yeah, stop. I'm not. I'm, I'm not called to do that. That was my bad attitude. That was my leafy. That was my fantasy. I didn't even knew it. I even told her we were driving. What's that? Yeah, my platform, it really is centered on corn mazes. Bring corn mazes back again. Come on. How many of you know? I'm just, where are the corn mazes, right? Who's going to rise up? Okay. So I was all upset about what was going on. There's the homeless are doing this and people are getting away with stuff and all this kind of stuff. I was all mad. So I'm like, I'm running for mayor, you know? And she goes, well, what are, what are, you, what are your specific plans? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't really have an answer. I'm just mad about how bad it is, you know? Anybody else ever run for a fictional, you know, fictionally run for office or something in your mind? And uh, the thing is that I, I look around and I'm mad oftentimes in my selfishness and in my flesh. And maybe even mad and maybe even right about some of the things that are, that are dumb or wrong or mismanaged or whatever. It doesn't mean I'm wrong. But you can be right intellectually and wrong spiritually because God doesn't want to destroy this place. He wants to redeem it. God doesn't want to bring judgment upon the people that maybe are your enemies. He wants to turn them into your family because those are your brothers and your sisters. Come on. Those are the people that Jesus died for. I like to say it this way, that God loves the people you hate, which is great news because somebody hates you. Isn't that awesome? The people that you hate, oh, they suck, you know. Well, yeah, but they think the same about you, right? Everybody always talks about, well, my family's so crazy. You're somebody's crazy aunt or uncle. <laughs> I know that somewhere somebody's like, my crazy Uncle Jake, you know, what he does, <laughs> whatever. God loves the people you hate, which is great news because somebody hates you. Romans 5.10 says, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? God didn't wait for you to get right before he made you right. He sent his son Jesus while you were his enemy, while you were at odds with him, while you were actively opposing everything God stands for and who he is, his holiness, his righteousness, his truth. Now here's the deal. Sometimes in our generation, people think, well, God lowers his standard of holiness so he can bring people into family, not even one bit. God cannot and does not lower his standard of holiness. What he does is he pays for sin with the most precious commodity on the, in the universe, the blood of Jesus, to wash away sins that whoever would call upon the name of the Lord would be saved. There is no uh, reduction of righteousness. There is simply an act of such great love and mercy and justice that God paid the price for people to be made right with God. So when Jonah carries the heart of God and the, the voice of God and the message of God to the city of Nineveh, he doesn't say, guess what, Nineveh? You don't have to change. God wants you in his family just because he loves you. He says, God's going to judge this city. You see, when God speaks to the city and when the church goes to the city, we do have to go into an unbelieving and dark world and say, look, the judgment of God will fall. This is not right. We can't be doing all of this kind of stuff. It leads to destruction, but there is hope and mercy and love inside of the church and inside of the family of God. But God loves the city. Even while we were enemies, he sent Jesus and we were reconciled to him. If you ever find yourself thinking, hmm, it feels like worms are eating something that is making me comfortable, stop telling, stop saying it's the devil and maybe listen and find out if it's God. Because it may be, it just might be that you're in some way running from the call of God 
And in some way, he's allowing something, he's providing a means to erode your comfort, your comfort zone to get you to look and see that he loves the city and so should you. How many of you, like me, would be transparent and honest and say, have you Googled which state to move to? Have you Googled which country to move to? Portugal, Uruguay, I've looked it up, I know, like if you really want to get away from it all, New Zealand is supposed to be a good place, but you have to be really rich to get there, so we're not going there. So, and every time I've done that, the Lord taps me on the shoulder and says, wait a second, son, I put you here. In the stock market, there's a little phrase that says, buy low, sell high. You know, right now, you look at our cities in Oregon, you look at what's going on here, you look at Portland, I don't know if you've seen this, but like people don't really think we're doing an awesome job. Like around the country, our state is sort of a joke. We, we, we're, we're having problems, okay? And my flesh wants to be like, look at the dumb city and the bad politics and all this dumb stuff going on and I'm so rah, rah, rah. I'm mad at people and people are mad at me and I want out of here. I want to buy some ranch in Wyoming and just get away from it all. Right? And the Lord taps me on the shoulder and says, buy low, sell high, bring the gospel, establish the kingdom, go to the people that need it. You see, there's this funny thing about being in an army. It's like when you're a soldier, you're called to go to the battlefield. Weird, huh? And so when you're in the army of the Lord, he sends you to the place where you're needed to be. Because he loves the city. You've got to understand the heart of God. God loves the city. God loves Eugene and Springfield. God loves Oregon. He loves the United States of America. And he loves every other place. God doesn't care about the, the, the national identity. He cares about the people that make up that identity. And he wants to see them reconciled with his son, Jesus. And we are his hands and feet here to carry that gospel. Come on. Number two, thought about the calling of God and how to answer the call is to know that we were saved or called on purpose and for a purpose. We write it right here on our, our banner. You were made on purpose and for a purpose. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You were brought out of darkness, and God rescued you and redeemed you so that you could go and proclaim his praises. Jesus gave us this mission. Go into all the world and make disciples. The question is this. Can the good news, the gospel, that got to you get through you? Somebody prayed, somebody fasted, somebody shared, somebody invited, somebody did something to help you get here. Maybe they didn't do that to you in your lifetime. It could have been your grandpa or your grandma that somebody won to Jesus who brought you into church. But somebody got out of their chair, went into the city, and brought somebody into the church. God loves the city, and he called you, made you, and designed you for purpose, uh, with purpose and for a purpose, and you're called to go. Third thought, and we'll finish here is that we all run from the call of God in some way. Maybe you're like, oh, man, I'm, this is great. I love this message because I'm in church and I'm, I'm following the call of God and I'm doing it. But the reality is we, it's very easy, especially in church, to practice what's known as partial obedience. And if you have children, you know exactly what this looks like. I didn't say just put your pajamas on. I said put your pajamas on and brush your teeth so that you're ready for bed. Oh, I did one of them. No, 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 no. You got to do both because we're doing something here. And oftentimes we go, okay, well, I'm going to be at church every week and I'll give in the offering and I'll sing the songs. But then I hear a message about I need to open my home. I need to go into the city. I need to love people. I need to make disciples. And I sort of shut my ears. That's called partial obedience. And the end result is that it equals disobedience. The reason we run from the call of God, there's three that I want to give you today. Number one, it's uncomfortable. 
The call of God is always uncomfortable because it always forces us out of our comfort zone. The reason why is, again, like a soldier, he sends you to the battlefield. He sends you where the need is. When you look around at the city around you and you go, this place is dark. Welcome to the jungle. We got fun and games. <laughs> this is where we're supposed to be. When Bethany and I were moving to the city of Eugene, people would be like, oh, that's a tough place. Wow, that's really tough. We're like, awesome. We got it surrounded, like perfect. We were excited by that because we understand this spiritual principle. The general's gonna send the best soldiers to the hottest battlefield. So, hey, Christian, guess what? God thinks a lot of you that you're planted in this community here to reach this place, not curse it and not abandon it, but love it and serve it and see people come to Christ. But the call is always uncomfortable. It forces us out of our comfort zone. And so we run from it. The second reason that we run from the call is that it's costly. The call of God always requires sacrifice. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. A lot of us would be willing to die for our faith, but are you willing to live for it? Are you willing to put your career and your family and your, your agenda and your time and your leisure and your finances out open-handedly to God to say, I'm yours all the way. You lead me, you guide me, I'm all in. And I'm, I'll, I'll sacrifice it all, whatever you want from me, Lord, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and pro proper worship. Third reason that we run from the call of God is that it's convicting. It, it forces us to face ourselves forces us to face our prejudice, to face our unrepentant sin and surrender our selfish will. God loves us enough not to leave us in a place of good enough, but to continue to call us forward into the character of Christ. Many times in my life, especially the older I get in my walk with the Lord, the more comfortable I get and I go, I'm good, that's good enough. I'm, I, I'm, 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 I'm good enough, I'm like Jesus enough. And then the voice of the Holy Spirit says, no, 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 no. This will continue, in the words of Ephesians chapter 4, this will continue until we come together in such a unity and such a knowledge and such a maturity that we look like Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I don't look 100% like Jesus yet, so the work of the Lord continues, and I'm convicted by the call to deal with my prejudice, to deal with my anger, to deal with my rage, to deal with that part of me that wants people to be judged rather than reconciled, to deal with that part of me that would rather have an enemy than a brother or a sister, and to deal with that part of me that is such a coward that won't speak the word of the Lord that he's brought to me, and that same gospel that came and transformed me from the inside out, it's not my right to sit on it and squelch it but to actually be a light in this place and in this city and stop cursing the city and start being a blessing. Stop cursing the darkness and start being a light. But the call of God is convicting. Jonah was angry enough to die because God called him to lay down his unforgiveness and bigotry towards the people of Nineveh. I want right now you to think about that group of people. Maybe it's politics. Maybe right now in our society, the big thing is we're going to all hate each other on both sides of who's vaccinated, who's not, who's wearing a mask, who's not. Guys, let me just tell you right now at Joy Church, let me just speak a pastoral admonition. We will not be divided on this issue. We will not be divided on political issues. We will not be divided on gender issues. We're not going to be divided on this stuff. The only thing that we break fellowship over is if someone denounces the name of Jesus. But if you follow Jesus and you're willing to be a disciple, we're going to work with all that stuff. We'll have arguments. We'll be like brothers and sisters. You won't like what I'm saying to you and I won't like what you're saying to me. And at the end of it, we'll give each other a hug and we'll eat an ice cream cone. Come on, somebody. But we're not going to be divided because when we're divided, the enemy wins and we miss out our opportunity to live and work and, and, and preach the gospel in the city that God has called us to.
And so in conclusion, I want to say this, that in practical terms, the call of God is always connected to the cry of his heart for lost people to rescue his lost children. Yes, we proclaim the truth of God that he will judge unrighteousness. Absolutely. Many of the things in our culture and in the city around us, the city of man, are absolutely going to come under the judgment of God. And we already see the judgment of God at work in people's lives. But the heart of God is that all should repent, that none should perish, that people would turn back. And so we speak the hard word so that we can restore and reconcile people to right place with God. Calling is a divine assignment of kingdom importance connected to your God-given identity. And God gave you that gift, that call. He gave you who you are, your personality, all of it, to serve his kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Would you bow your head and close your eyes today? Right now in this place, the very first call that comes from God is to repent of your sin and turn to Jesus. Put your faith and trust in him. Not trust in your own righteousness, but to trust in the work of Christ at the cross who gave his life for you and for me, making us right with God. And if that's you today, and maybe you're watching online or on replay or you're here in the room and you want to put your faith and trust in Jesus, would you just raise your hand so I can see? And I want to pray with you today and then we'll have a next step. But anybody here today that wants to put their faith and trust in Jesus, thank you so much. Maybe you say, Pastor Jake, I haven't really been living right. I've been doing my own thing. I've been my own God. I've been directing myself but I want to follow Jesus. I want him to save me. Anybody else in this room today? Awesome. Okay, we're going to pray this prayer together. Thank you. We're going to pray this prayer together. Let's all pray. Repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I put my faith and trust in you and in you alone. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for dying on the cross as payment for my sin. And thank you that you rose again so I can have life eternally in you. I give you my life, every part of it, the good and the bad, and I receive you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name.